electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. NVIDIA on the move. Shares volatile after the company posted a beat on the top and the bottom lines. What's behind the volatility and what is next to the AI chip darling? We're dialed into the call. We'll bring you all the headlines. And the yen, breaking trend. The Japanese currency has been rallying against the dollar in recent weeks after flirting with multi-decade lows earlier this month. Can it keep up the strength? The chart master is diving into the FX trade to find out. Plus a Bezos billion. The Amazon founder expected to offload another big chunk of his stock. But what's, that's just a rounding error for him. It's sending shares dropping for everybody else. What's behind his latest sale and what it means for Amazon? I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal. And we start off with NVIDIA's latest earnings. The stock volatile despite a profit and revenue beat. The chipmaker warning sales in the current quarter may take a hit from the China chip restrictions. The call just kicking off the top of the hour. CNBC's Christina Parts-Nevelis has got all the details here. We've seen the stock sort of just sort of waver around well, here. In it the dropped about, recession. what, three and a half percent? Initially. Moment. Yeah, and I think that had to do with the CFO commentary about China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quote is, we expect that our sales to these destinations will decline significantly in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2024, though we believe the decline will be more than offset by strong growth in other regions. They did, and they've said this before, that uh, it's having no near-term impact, but you can't discount the fact that 20 to 25% of data center revenue comes from China. They're admitting it in there, but nonetheless, like you mentioned, beat in the top and bottom line. I thought gross margins was a little bit interesting. It it was a beat, 75% stronger than what we were anticipating, but for the Q4 gross margin guidance, it's actually coming down a little bit. That's what they're estimating, 74.5 to 75 and a half. So what does that mean about efficiency? Um, And so for this call, I think a major factor is how can you keep growing 206% per year on revenue? So it's it's more, and I know we had Stacey Grasgon and others throughout the day talk about sustainability. How is this going to keep up this exponential growth uh, beyond 2024 once China plays more of a role and once there's saturation with GPUs or once they switch on to their new GPU architecture? But in terms of guidance, the guidance on Q4 looked good. $20 billion. On the surface. Right. There's a lot of pluses or minuses, though, in, in the numbers there. And so if you take the minus side of it, it's actually below yeah, that's estimates good point too. on the that's revenue side, point. right? Yeah. yeah, so for that guidance, I wonder even for data center revenue, the plus or minus, I didn't actually look at that particular number. And we don't get for uh, the following year. But that is a, a very good point, too. Do we have any indication on mix? A100 versus H100, because that makes a big deal in terms of margins. So they didn't talk specifically about that in the report, but they did. There was one line um, that spoke about Ampere, the GPUs. Uh, They said the architecture-based data center products were significant but declined sequentially as we approach the tail end of this architecture. So we know that next year they're going to be launching a new GPU that's going to be on a completely different architecture. Historically with NVIDIA, what happens is when they launch a new product, which they, they you know, it went from 24 months down to 18, down, down to 12, we know that, you know, buyers tend to pull back a little bit in anticipation for that new uh, GPU, and we're seeing that happen already. What are some of the big questions 
that will be on the conference call. Oh, sustainability, of course. Right. You know, what what site do they have uh, into the near future when it comes to continuing to buy? We've seen it from some of the hyperscalers, but what about everyone else? And, and uh, supply constraints. We know that the CTO of Microsoft in September did already say that it's improving. Uh, the previous earnings call, NVIDIA management did say they expect supply to keep growing every single quarter. So maybe more of that commentary. The data center revenue, given it contributes so much. China, uh, they're going to get asked so many questions about it just because they did admit that in Q4 fiscal 2024, it's going to be weaker. So what are they going to do to offset that with the workaround chips, anything else like that? Christina broke it down really well. Let's talk. I mean, it's a great quarter, okay? But they're being rewarded for these types of quarters in terms of their valuation. And when you talk about data center, for example, up 280% year over year, I mean, that's pretty extraordinary given the base they're working off of. Operating margins better than expected. She mentioned gross margins better than expected. But at what point do you say to yourself, you know what, now the valuation is starting to get a little bit stretched. We understand it can grow into it, but we're going to start taking profits in the name. And again, people that bought Val on the back of this earnings release are probably not particularly happy right now because the stock is effectively nowhere. But I think you're starting to see with potentially that guide, maybe this inflection point where things are remarkable, but starting to go the other way now to the downside. Well, the guide, the fact that the minus part of the guide when it's plus or minus 2 percent is below estimates. I mean, that's just not what investors want to hear from NVIDIA. They don't want even that possibility of the loan. That's not what you're paying. What you're paying for yeah. is something that is well over estimates. Yeah, the bar to jump over is getting higher, higher and higher expectations or, or, you know, the stock has rallied 25 percent into this print here. And, you know, to Guy's point, you know, on, on valuation here, you know, again, and Christina, Christina just mentioned this. I mean, like they're expected to grow, you know, earnings and sales more than 50 percent next year. Now, if we're starting to see the acceleration of these kind of beats on a sequential basis that decline, Right. And sooner or later, that's going to go the other way. Right. And so when that consensus starts going the other way and she just mentioned gross margins, right, they're going to do 70, 71 percent gross margins for the current fiscal year. Next year, they're actually supposed to be up. But if you're talking about all this competition coming into the market, if you're talking about increased supply at some point that likely is going to weigh on margins. And once you start seeing that dip back below 70 percent, if that is, in fact, the case, as we start valuing on the out year, then the stock probably doesn't have a ton more upside from these levels. Well, well, I, I think their ability to generate margins is a, dic- uh, is a function of their ability to stay ahead of the competition. And, and based upon also the commitments they have from Microsoft for the 200 uh, next year, it kind of gives them a 6 to 12 month lead over AMD. That's one of the reasons why the stock is rewarded. Uh, to the multiple, you know, if they're going to do 20 bucks or so in calendar year 24 in earnings, the stocks, you know, I mean, there are some analysts on the street that say the stock screens is cheap because they see 30 bucks in 26, 27. We can all do that math at 25 on 24 uh, at 20 bucks on 24. It's a 25 times multiple for a company that's still way ahead of competition, pretty much can charge what they want. And this isn't an issue of demand. So uh, I like I don't love the multiple here, but but let's Let's be clear. I mean, people haven't loved this multiple for three reports in a row. And, and I think the stock is, is I mean, the fact that the stock is doing nothing after hours um, to me is is, I think, a, a big plus. And the fact of the matter is some of those numbers, especially on the, the the revenue side, I think, you know, the buy side was was higher than the sell side on that. And I actually think that they hit those numbers. 
It's still five uh, lower than the five-year average, the PE. So bulls will say, when are, how often does a stock you know, hit an all-time mm-hmm. high, but the PE comes down in the same term? Uh, the only other point to counter what you guys are saying is the bulls will also say, what about software? So all of these companies are buying the GPUs, the hardware for it. The, the strength for NVIDIA is they had the CUDA software and the InfiniBand, the, the cables that connect. So that could be a selling point for margins going forward in the subsequent years. Christine. But I'm, I'm not a holder or anything. Thank you, Christina. Just know a lot about the company. Yeah. Um, you'll keep us posted on the conference. Oh, yeah. Christina Parsonevelis. For more on NVIDIA's quarter, let's bring in Susquehanna's Christopher Rollin. Chris, great to have you with us. Hi, how are you? Um, as Tim, Tim made this point, and I think it was an excellent point, the fact that the stock is not doing much given the guidance it may actually be viewed as a very positive thing. Uh, perhaps. I mean, we're getting used to these monster beats. Um, we had basically for the guide 20 billion they hit that on the nose we were doing our best to do a buy side whisper number there and so um that is what we would expect a flat stock with that 20 billion guide um are you how concerned are you about china china is china that's history uh as a few weeks ago uh, they said that they will not be shipping there, but there is demand elsewhere in other geographies to make up for that full China gap. Um, my, I, I suspect that they are going to have a respin of some of these parts. Whether they will be performant enough uh, to the Chinese liking, I don't know. Um, but they will tr- probably be getting back into this market in some form. Uh, you know, over probably the next few months. Chris, Tim mentioned competition as well. And obviously, NVIDIA, huge head start without question. And they've done a remarkable job. But people are getting into this space very quickly. Is this a quarter or the next this and next quarter potentially where we start seeing margins peak and then start to decelerate? I mean, operating margins, I think it's almost 64 percent is pretty remarkable in this space. Yeah, so... Uh, they will not be able to capture NVIDIA's 20-year lead on the software side around AI. They will chip away at the edges, uh, but CUDA is dominant uh, and well beyond most of their competitors. The closest thing you're going to get is Google's TPU. Uh, AMD's MI300 is really interesting. Uh, one of the most interesting parts about it was the extra memory the almost double that it had over NVIDIA. And then NVIDIA comes out with the H200, basically doubles up their memory and erodes some of that competitive advantage. So I would say all parts are moving here in this race and NVIDIA is moving very fast and they're not conceding anything. How, how, would you, how would you describe relations between NVIDIA and the rest of the hyperscalers who are trying to create their own kind of chips? Does it create bottlenecks for them where NVIDIA is going to hold back supply to them because they would like to continue to dominate as they have been? Uh, I think, you know, perhaps probably one of the most shining examples is OpenAI or Microsoft. Uh, and NVIDIA shipped a ton of H100s to them, uh, particularly early in the cycle as well. Uh, and we just saw the Microsoft announcement about Maya, um, which will be eventually be uh, H100 or, a, a, or NVIDIA competitor here. Um, and so I don't think that's the case. I think uh, NVIDIA wants to ship as many of these as they can sell to whoever they'd like to sell uh, in an unbiased way. 
Hey, you just mentioned you were trying to get a sense of the buy side whisper. When you talk to, let's say, hedge fund clients, for instance, and they're like looking at this story and they're saying how unique this is and they maybe have missed it. Can you actually say to them, you know, with expected 50 percent earnings and sales growth next year, but then expected to kind of step down in 2026 and, and beyond that, that this is a good buy here at current valuation? Because a lot of folks are trying to figure out valuations and maybe they don't care so much about that. I'm just curious, like, how is the buy side thinking about this. The stock has obviously been really volatile in the last three months, trading between 400 and 500, it seems like, you know, every other month here. Yeah, I mean, we're now down to a very basic 25 PE on next year's numbers. Um, You can make some adjustments to that, but that's a reasonable number. Uh, The real kind of issue at hand here is how sustainable are these data center numbers that they're putting out? Uh, I think you guys were talking earlier about um, those beats, the expected beats, uh, the, the the decremental beat uh, as we move into next year. Uh, and we are in that camp. We are starting to take our numbers down. We're thinking we're hitting cruising altitude here. And there could even be a small reset into next year. So that 25 number um, could you know, go down to 20, but then bounce up to 30 on some sort of a reset. But I think we're in the ballpark for um, a a, a really good valuation here. If you look out a couple of years for NVIDIA, uh, particularly given their, their growth rate and their dominance in this area. When you're taking down the growth rate for next year, Chris, I'm wondering is when does competition start factoring in? I mean, we know all of these competitors are out there with competing chips. When do those chips actually pose a threat to NVIDIA's 70 percent AI chip market share at this point? I mean, we, when might we hear Microsoft talking about its competing chip last week, when should we start factoring that into this valuation? Yeah, that's almost a science project at this point. I would not expect Microsoft to roll that out in mass. The closest thing is TPU5. It is a meaningful performance chip. They've been working on this for you know five plus years. Uh, they're probably closest, but they're not perfect either. So this is still NVIDIA's game. They are dominant. I would not expect serious competition. AMD at best would be five to 10% of the market uh, in two to three years from now. And they're probably the number two merchant supplier out there. Um, So it's really not about competition right now. To me, it's about uh, how big are these infrastructures going to eventually get? And that's the most meaningful uh, driver for NVIDIA. Hey, Chris, just your reaction of the last, uh, I guess, 72 hours on Microsoft OpenAI and, and, you know, just the sense of um, I look at you know, new services, the services that are now really demanding higher GPU and OpenAI and dynamics around the entire sector that we had this discussion yesterday, whether um, was the weekend's result and the soap opera um, highlighting uh, a, a bigger dynamic or less of a dynamic? Was that the peak? Any thoughts from you? Well, I, I, I don't have I, I don't have enough information. I don't know if we all do um, exactly what happened there. But my takeaway is there could be an interesting opportunity for NVIDIA to double up on the infrastructure. So, for example, if OpenAI built all of this infrastructure themselves, 
Microsoft pulls all of these engineers away from OpenAI, they may have to rebuild that H100 NVIDIA infrastructure again. So for the time being, I'm actually viewing it as a potential incremental adder for NVIDIA overall. But I don't think it says anything about uh, you know the AI environment uh, or the desire to build out these infrastructure products. Is there anything in your view that would slow down the spending on AI? Or is it just a foregone conclusion in your model that it's going to, to be full strength, full speed ahead? We are still struggling in some ways to find revenue generation from, uh, from AI in general. Um, and if that were to continue for a while, uh, that could ultimately be a problem. And m maybe it's not 20 billion a quarter for NVIDIA anymore. Maybe it's something like 10 or 15 more sustainably. Um, I do think we need to see some really um, kind of robust on the consumer, on the enterprise, and even on the hyperscale side, real revenue generating use cases to drive these kind of numbers, like an mm. 80 or $100 billion data center number a year for NVIDIA. Chris, uh, great to speak with you. Always good to get your thoughts. Thank you. Chris Rollins. Julie, what's your take here? It seems like, uh, you know, proving that it actually generates revenue, that seems like it should be, <laughs> uh, you know, something that you need to show to spend that kind of money. I, I think that's right. You know, the one thing that's really critical about NVIDIA, it's not just in terms of the software that they sell, but the ecosystem that they've created in terms of this is what people are writing on this language that, you know, makes it very, very hard to break into that. So from a competitive standpoint, I think I feel very, very confident in this business. The real question mark is exactly what we ended the conversation with, which is what happens if demand doesn't really show up because the use cases at enterprise for consumer just aren't as robust as we're hoping. And I think for me, I think that they will happen, but I think they might not happen on the timeline that we're expecting and that the valuation is in, you know, assuming. You could see the hyperscalers pull back very easily. And that's really the trick of this business is that there's actually a lot of customer concentration. So if you know the three big hyperscalers decide, you know what, let's just pull back on our spending, that's a big problem for NVIDIA because they do soak up a lot of that demand. Yeah. Um, what has NVIDIA done since its last earnings report? It's up 3.7%. What has the SOX done since NVIDIA's last earnings report? It's up about 6%. Mm -hmm. Have we seen, I mean, I, I, I know, I understand record high in yesterday's session, but no, still, it hasn't really moved too much from the last earnings report. Or have we seen sort of the peak in terms of how much we're moving because the expectations are so high? Well, we, we asked the question three quarters ago, was this going to trigger a CapEx spend within tech, um, especially in, in the chip sector? And, and you know, that was the question. At this point, I don't think there's any question about what it spurred on. But that was that was an unknown at that point. And look, this was also at a point where markets were in a really, uh, I think, a much more dangerous place. So it seemed again in terms of the outlook. Um, now, fair question. Uh, I, I do think that from the market's perspective, um, the cynics can find a glass half empty about the leadership in semis and say at some point it's tapped out. Um, the, again, a, a 20 percent move in the last 17 sessions for a sector that was already up 60 percent before that. I mean, it, you know, this this gets to be scary stuff, but if you've missed this move, um, it's been painful. Yeah. In terms of, you know, Dan talks about this metric, price to sales. So it's probably trading, what, 23 times this year's number, probably 15 and a half, 16 times next year's number. So they're growing into that. 
But even with that, 16 is probably still twice what the historic norm should be. So the question is, are you going to see that continued? Now, listen, from 18 billion to 20 billion, that's obviously a much lower guide than we've seen over the last couple quarters. So that's slowing. All this, it's not nitpicking. I mean, it's just the math. How much are you willing to pay for the stock on valuation? That's the question that I can't answer for folks. Yeah, well, the math in, into this quarter was the stock rallied 25%. That's, you know, $300 billion in market cap. And so it was going to take a huge beat and raise to get this stock to break out meaningfully to a new all-time high and, and keep that kind of those gains. And it was going to actually not take a whole heck of a lot to get the stock moving lower. And I just kind of focus on that last bit um, that Chris just mentioned. It, it did seem to think like, you know, again, the days of these big beats and raises are behind us here until there's a new cycle, until there's a bit of a reset. So I just think about the buy side and the way that they buy stocks like this. And I think we're on the other side of this huge expansion phase. So to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to buy the stock at $500. Coming up, Amazon unloaded. Jeff Bezos cashing in on millions worth of shares. And there could be even more selling to come. We got the details ahead. But first, we're watching Nordstrom After Hours, adding to a busy day of retail earnings, how that space is faring ahead of the holidays when Fast Money returns. Back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert on Nordstrom. The stock is down just slightly about half a percent after an earnings beat and a revenue miss. That conference call is underway. Courtney Reagan joins us at the latest court. Hi, Melissa. Hi, team. Good to be with you tonight. So stock reaction, a little more muted, actually, than I would have thought here, especially after Kohl's big sell-off today in reaction to its quarter. Nordstrom revenues, as you mentioned, coming in light. The department store's net sales total down 9.4 percent. So that's the department store. The Nordstrom rack sales, though, fell just 1.8 percent. And on the call, CEO Eric Nordstrom said the rack stores continue to be great investments. The digital arm of that is now profitable. Rack stores, he thinks, are underpenetrated. Digital revenues total for Nordstrom down more than 11%. Now, lower markdowns did help gross margins expand. So this is another retailer with decent margins this this uh, third quarter report here. The holiday quarter, though, the implied earnings forecast a little weaker than expected, especially considering this 12 cent beat here in the third quarter. CEO Eric Nordstrom joining the chorus of conservative retail CEOs, though, calling out, quote, continued uncertainty and softening consumer spend. Active, the strongest category by far, beauty and accessories also stronger than other categories. That beauty just continues to take off. I guess everyone's just looking their best these days. Mm. Mel, back over to you. Certainly are in this test court. Yeah. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney Reagan. I'd be the St. Ives scrub guy. Would that be the apricot? The uh, apricot scrub. When I go to like Sephora, pits. yes. Yeah. I, that's that's a little pricier for you, though. They I don't sell say. that there. Yeah. Anywho, huh. 
Um, Nordstrom really encapsulates all the problems that the consumer faces. It has the worst merchandise in terms of what the consumer wants to buy. I was going to say, should you own it? Is there a reason to own it here? Thinking that the answer you're going to say is no. No, but I'll say this. Since the, I think it was March of 2021, this was, I think, a 40-something dollar stock, a series of lower highs and lower lows. That pattern continues. Along the way, though, there have been bounces, 15 to 30 percent bounces seemingly out of nowhere. I don't think we're on the verge of that. As a matter of fact, you could probably test levels we saw, I want to say, like COVID, COVID, 12 and 12 and change, right? And that's what it looks like it's headed. And and I mean, at some point you have to look in the mirror if you're Nordstrom and say, this is not about the consumer. Um, This is not about cyclicality in the economy. This is about your core business. And and where were we, you know, coming out of the crisis? Macy's and Nordstrom's, and I think they're different businesses and they have a slightly different customer um, who, by the way, both are the ones that told us last quarter that they saw delinquencies starting to creep up. No one else was telling us that. But but what the department stores were able to do, and again, more Macy's than, than JWM, renegotiate leases, downside. You know, accelerate a restructuring that people didn't think they could do beforehand, and and they were rewarded. Um, but is that a sustainable business model? So again, I, I'm with Guy. I think you're selling this move. I think there's other retail out there today that didn't trade well. You yeah. can buy. By the way, it wasn't the only retail report out today. Yeah. Uh, Kohl's, Best Buy, Lowe's, all dropping during the regular session after posting weaker than expected revenue before the bell. Dick's Sporting Goods managed a beat on the top and bottom line. Saw shares rise. Uh, Julie, how are you feeling? I mean, obviously, Dick's is. A different kind of retailer in terms of what they sell. So maybe there's more demand for that, for sporting goods and footwear and stuff like that. But uh, the rest of it just shows that there's a whole swath of retail there that's just suffering because they're selling stuff that people don't want. Yeah, exactly. They're selling stuff that people don't want, but that also has like really strong uh, price transparency online. And it's really, it's not differentiated in any way, shape or form. Dix is a little bit different in that way in that what you can find in their merchandise, a lot of them, they do their own private label and they do a lot of collaborations. So for them, there's a better reason to go shop at Dick's than there is, you know, say a Nordstrom or a Kohl's. I think overall what we're hearing though is that the consumer is weakening and what they care about is value. So knowing that the rack is doing so much better than the core flagship Nordstrom brand tells you that if you have to play in retail, and I'm not saying you do, and I'm not necessarily recommending you do, you wanna look for places where where customers are finding value. And so you're thinking about off-price or Costco, those types of brands. Yeah, I, I guess from an investment standpoint, too, and I know, Tim, you like dicks here, but like if you look at Macy's no, really, and Nordstrom's... No, actually, I really don't. I've been a um, If you look at the, yeah. the amount of debt that those two companies have relative to their market cap and relative to their cash positions and relative to the direction in which their businesses are going, it just doesn't seem like... I don't know how it ends, you know what I mean, well for some of these. Well, I think it does come back to value, and I look at Best Buy, who I thought had better numbers. Again, their comps were down 6.9%. It was expected down 57 but I think they were less bad. So that, you know, that derivative, and I look at the valuation at 10 times the next 12 months, and they're near a trough multiple. Now, should it be getting cheaper and cheaper? I actually think Best Buy um, has carved out a place in consumer electronics that's somewhat unique. So I'd be a buyer there, if anything. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Remove from cart? Jeff Bezos already selling off millions of dollars worth of Amazon shares, and there could be even more to come. More on the e-commerce cash out next. Plus, General Motors shares hitting the brakes today as investors await a business update coming next week. Just how much did the UAW strikes cost the company? And what will the shakeup at its self-driving unit mean for the future of the automaker? 
You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jeff Bezos cashing in on some of his Amazon stock. The billionaire former CEO sold about $240 million worth of his stake last week. And sources telling our own David Faber that he is not done. Bezos could, quote, aggressively sell another 8 to 10 million shares, which would amount to more than $1 billion worth of stock. Amazon stock is down nearly 2% today. The thinking is that he's using that money to fund Blue Origins. That's why he's moving to Miami to be closer to the operations there as well as his parents. But that's his uh, latest love. His right to do so without question. The 145 level is where the stock stopped. If you go back and look, August of 22, it stopped on a dime. Here we are, 145 level again, having had a great run over the last 9 to 12 months. question is, if he's selling stocks, should you be doing the same thing? I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with if you follow the whales into purchases, it stands to reason that if some of these guys and gals are making sales, it should at least raise your antenna a bit. Uh, Julie, you agree with that, especially when there is a reason um, for doing this. It's not like he's just selling just to sell. He's doing it for space. Hmm. Look, I mean, I, look, I have a lot of compassion for Jeff Bezos. We're very, very similar if you think about it. We're both going through our midlife crisis. Yeah. We're exercising. We're looking better. We're engaged to beautiful women. It's like he and I are the same. He and I are the same. It's, he's selling down 1% of his holdings, right? Even if it's the 8 to 10, it's 1% of his holdings to fund space exploration. I say let him have a little fun. I am. Now, when when I read this, Dan, I thought of you immediately. Uh oh. Um, not because you're not, you're looking you are looking better these days, et cetera. All, all of the above. It's about time. Um, <laughs> no, but you always cite Elon Musk and the risk that he's going to you know what's going on with Twitter is going to impact him with Tesla and that he will have to sell more shares. There's this overhang, you know, when you have a billionaire with another sort of side project yeah. going on who uses the main company as a source of funds. Yeah, I, listen, I actually think this is a good thing for Amazon shareholders. Let Jeff Bezos move away. He's, you know, he's mm. not the CEO of the company anymore. He's not making, you know, fundamental decisions about the course of the business and the like. And, and you think about the amount of shares that he's selling. It's really not <laughs> a big deal. He owns 9% of a $1.5 trillion market cap company that seems to be doing just fine, actually. You know, so when I look at this, and we talk a lot about valuation, and this was one of the tenets of the bear case on Amazon forever was valuation. You look at a company expected to grow earnings 30% a year for the next couple of years and sales growth in the, let's say, low teens or something like that. And, and again, I say to myself, it probably trades pretty reasonably right now. So um, like Jeff Bezos, you know, sell some stock, go to the moon, whatever you want to do with it. Um, it. You know, call Julie Beal if you want. Have she seems like she could use a good wingman right now, too, if you guys want to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, well... Um, I, I, again, this isn't a side hustle for him either. I mean, this is what he's doing. And, and he hasn't been at Amazon really in a meaningful way in a long time. The, the, the key to Amazon stock is, is AWS, um, really. I mean, let's be clear. And Amazon has outperformed its mega cap tech peers really year to date. So I, I think it's going to outperform as well. 
Coming up, the S&P to 5,000. That's a big call from one top market watcher, but is it really attainable? How the S&P rally could really take off in the new year. Details on that one next, plus GM announcing a business update next week. We'll get a look into how the company is doing after the auto strike and the recent robo-taxi C-suite shakeup. More on that when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. <laughs> tell, tell people, hold on no. a second. No, can't start laughing with, without no. well, letting people in on the joke. Practically, yeah. if we no, but you, that was your fault, Melissa. We laugh a lot. Okay, okay. It's, that's my I was fault. Just commenting on a commercial we saw during the break. Anyway, welcome back to Fast Money. S&P and Nasdaq snapping a five-day winning streak after today's Fed minutes indicated the central bank's policy would stay restrictive. All three indices posting small losses. The Nasdaq leading the drop down six tenths of a percent. Big call out of Wall Street today. Bank of America's Savita Subramanian saying the S&P could hit 5,000 by the end of next year. That's a 10% gain from today's close. In June on Fast Money, Subramanian told us she was the most bullish she's been on stocks in at least 10 years. Um, Tim, how are you feeling about 5,000 by the end of 24? I'm always listening to Savita. I, I, you know, 5,000 by the end of 24, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of time to travel in between there. And, and if I had to guess, or certainly my view layered on top of that view is uh, like, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about a 11% move, something like that from here, which isn't extraordinary. But when you consider where we've come this year and, and where I think there does need to be some reassessment, and I think we're going to have plenty of time in 24 to understand where the consumer is where EPS goes. So, look, I like the call. I, I think largely um, that is the dynamic that we have based upon the, the, the numbers that we have on the economy and the numbers we have in the consumer. Yeah, so you just said 11% on the target. Okay, well, estimates for EPS for a consensus is up 11%. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's that rip-roaring of a call. And, and I think Guy will tell you it just depends how we get there. How do we get there, Melissa? That's sure. exactly right. right. Is it a straight line to 5,000? You know, yeah. whatever, 50 handles a month? I don't think so. I don't think she thinks that as well. Or do we see some flush early next year below 4,000 and then spend the rest of the year ramping on the back of maybe a Federal Reserve that pivots by June or so? That's the interesting part of this call. But think that we were at 3,600 in, in October of 2022, and that's where you could be at 24. And this is why people like to stay invested. Meantime, shares of GM sliding more than 2% today. The automaker announcing it will hold a business update a week from tomorrow after union workers approved, uh, voted to approve a new labor deal through 2028. CBC's Phil LeBeau's got the details. Phil. Melissa, it has been exactly four weeks since General Motors pulled its guidance for 2023. We're going to have to wait another week to see what the guidance will be. Uh, that's when they give a business update. It'll happen next Wednesday. Now, the interesting thing will be how detailed do they get in terms of their expectations for 2023 and the year-end guidance. Remember, when they pulled their guidance, they originally said, look, we expect to make 12 to $14 billion. Clearly, the strike has had a huge impact on that. How much of an impact? Last time we heard from the company, when they did their Q3 earnings report, they said it was about at least an $800 million impact uh, that they would be suffering. Now, remember, since then, we've heard from, since the end of the strike, heard from Ford. They said it was a $1.3 billion hit. We heard from Stellantis saying it, it hit revenue at least $3.2 billion. So we're looking for more details regarding where the company is after the UAW contract, after the strike, as well as what's going on with crews. 
There have been a series of setbacks over the last couple of months. The most recent is the fact that you had the CEO, Kyle Vogt, who was originally the founder of Cruise way back in the day before General Motors bought it. He then became CEO a couple of years ago. Well, he resigned this week. So what's the outlook there? And we're showing you GM shares been a little bit all over the place, but this is them going back to October 24th when they pulled their guidance for the third quarter. And again, we'll get that update next Wednesday from GM. I think people are focused on those two things. What's the guidance for the full year? And what are we going to hear about what they think about the direction of Cruise? I'm not sure how detailed they'll get with Cruise, uh, but certainly the guidance is going to be in focus. Phil, thank you. <clears throat> Phil Abou. This will be an interesting one um, because it's got its core business, which is challenged by higher labor costs, among other things. I mean, it's an 11 percent immediate increase in pay. And then Cruise, which has lost its visionary mm -hmm. and is, it's lost one point nine billion dollars so far this year. Floundering. It's made 76 million, which is like pocket change here. I think the reorganization for GM was, what, the summer of 2009-ish or so. I mean, you go back, this, the, these last 14 years, in some ways, have probably been the golden era of auto sales. Yet the stock, if you go back and look, it's probably the exact same price as it's been. If you're a stockholder, you are not particularly happy. And here we sit here within a whisper of a multi-year low in terms of the stock. I don't know what scenario there is to get GM off the mat here. Another scenario. I, well, I, I think more insight into their business and profitability for a company that, that it's lost a lot. It's totally derated. I mean, if you look at this on a trailing, and I think it's, it's, it's relevant here considering where we've come out of, and, and at least people don't trust the numbers going forward, the stock's under four times. The stock's 3.9 times trailing 12 months. So you know, how much have you priced in here? Look, I, I, I own GM, and I, I think you priced in an extraordinary amount. I don't think there's exciting catalysts. I think people understanding that the profitability that this company has had, the same profitability that the union was pointing straight at them and saying, you've got to reward us, is something the market doesn't give them any credit for. All right, coming up, small cap standouts. There is plenty of action going on in the Russell right now. One of our traders will break down three names they think could be ready to break out. Plus, we're going global. The chart master joined us for a trip across the Pacific and a look at a beaten down currency that could be about to pop. More fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Is it a small cap comeback? The Russell 2000 still flat on the year, was down today, but it's up over 6% this month. Our small cap expert, Julie Beal, has three stocks she is keeping an eye on. Julie, what are they? Well, I, I'm thinking about themes that are mostly large cap themes, but that can still uh, resonate in small cap land. So the first is we know that we're completely underhoused. I am always nervous investing in individual home builders because you have so much idiosyncratic risk. But Simpson Manufacturing serves them all. And what they do is they literally hold the houses up with their strong tie product. And they have something like 70% market share and they're written in building codes. That's a better way to play that theme. If we're thinking about AI, I like the name Sertara, which does biosimulation software. They use AI to help you decide if a medical compound that you're coming up with is going to be too toxic for the body, if it's going to be efficacious. But they're also coming out with the potential for more generative AI in terms of helping researchers think of what compounds could be effective in treating diseases. So that's kind of an interesting play in AI. And the last one is thinking about 
companies that are growing but that are profitable. And so names like a Clearwater Analytics, which you could think of as like a sleepy portfolio accounting company, but this is something that you know has very, very high switching costs. And so you're going to see a lot of earnings resilience, even if there's a softer macro up ahead in front of us. So those are three names with good themes that I think are interesting. All right, Julie, thanks for running us through those. Small cap expert. SSD is interesting. Yep. I mean, this stock made an all-time high, I think, in the summer, pulled back, approaching that level again. I think it's a tad expensive, and it's up against past resistance, but this is a fascinating chart. Even the Carter Braxton worst of the world would find it interesting. I had to look up strong ties because mm. I didn't know what they were, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Remember that show, One Family Ties? Non sequitur. Well, no, it's just, not a non sequitur. No, we but we, we talk about shows on this show. We do. Maybe on the commercial break. But anyway, Simpson. All right. All right, coming up a currency comeback, the yen gaining ground against the dollar in recent weeks, and the chartmaster thinks a bigger break in the trend could be ahead. Carter Worth taking to the charts. Of course, he will when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The yen rebounding in recent weeks against the dollar, gaining roughly 2% since touching a new 52-week low just last Monday. Japan's currency is still down more than 11% against the greenback this year, but the chartmaster says it could be prime for a bigger break in trend. Let's bring in Carter Braxton, worth of worth charting. Carter. Yes, I mean, talk about something at an epic level. You're talking about 33-year lows relative to the dollar, and yet, um, and we'll see it on the chart in a second, where uh, there has now been some emerging strength is right at a former reference point. And, and my thinking is uh, improvement ahead. Uh, let's look at the charts. There are three of them and they're identical. And so here you have uh, a chart with no annotations, no judgments. And of course, you see that spike, which is, of course, extreme weakness in 2022. That's in October. And then the strength. And then we weakened all the way back to that weakness, of course, is up in the chart. Um, and now if we put some lines on, you'll see that just of late, we got right to that October 2022 level. And I've started to go down in the chart, which is strengthening in the yen. Uh, whether you want to call it a double top or not, let's put some arrows in. And you see it there. Uh, these lines draw themselves. It is like a pinball machine hitting off the lines to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. And my thinking is further down on the chart, which is more strength, um, even to prospectively the 142, uh, 143 level. We shall see. Hmm. Um, before we let you go and trade uh, Japan, Carter, what do you think of NVIDIA since we're, we're talking about the earnings tonight? Well, something for everybody, yes. Out of the gate week, um, as all watched, uh, I had my popcorn too at 431, I guess it was. And then uh, strength at one point was positive and basically it looks like it could be a non-event. The implied move was 7% either way. Uh, obviously, uh, after hours trading is, uh, as they say, uh, hardly uh, a fix as to what will happen in the real session. But it's pretty telling that the initial thing was weak um, and it recovered all of it. Um, my hunch is here a pair of twos. All right. Carter, thank all you. Right. Carter Braxton Worth. Yen goes to 142. That's got to be good for Japanese equities, Tim. Yeah, it is. I'm a research provider on an international ETF, IDVO, and Japan is an overweight for three reasons. One, you've got a currency that's probably appreciating for the first time in, in a long time. You've got a central bank that's no longer uh, targeting their yield curve, and they actually have some inflation. But again, you have EPS growth there that I think is a lot more interesting than almost any other part of the world.
Hmm. And Warren Buffett's in there for a long time, and they've done well. EWJ, the ETF, I think 63 and a half is a recent high. Where to close? 62 and change. So that's the level I guess we got to breach. But it has been trading remarkably well in the face of what obviously is some concerns about their currency over the last six months. So if Carter is right, if the yen strengthens against the dollar, would stand to reason, I think, that the EWJ might get back on its horse. It is interesting, you know, going back to NVIDIA just for a moment, we're about 50 plus minutes into the conference call, and the stock is still just down a percent. It's really sort of just holding in there. uh, I think Tim said it. I mean, the fact that it wasn't down on a guide that, you know, wasn't better than what the Wall Street (laughs) estimate or whisper was is probably the right thing to think about. Guy also said that the vault traders are choking on this thing, and there might be a way to play it into your end, though. So stick around. Is option action doing that today or no? Uh, no. no. Do you okay. want to do an options action? No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. Welcome. No, no. But I, what I would say this: if the stock were to come in a little bit, and you thought the stock had the potential to kind of rally into year end, you know what I mean, and get above that five, those calls are going to look dollar cheap to you. I, I'm just saying, like so. Or the flip side of it is, you could probably buy some puts against your long stock position into year end and protect it. Wait until the vol comes in pretty hard. I think over the next couple of days or so. Twenty-four percent in in seventeen sessions going into these earnings. Yeah. So outperforming the semis, which it outperformed everything else. So. Uh, not a huge surprise to see a lackluster response, but but again, an impressive well, one. I actually think Karen said she was selling out-of-money out calls <laughs> against yeah. her long stock position. That was right. the trade. That's options action, too. There you go. Right. Um, Julie, you're a constructive NVIDIA. Do you hold it in any way? Yeah, it's held in uh, some of our large cap growth portfolios, mm-hmm. and it's been a very long-term holding. I think we've owned it for probably six or seven years. Um, you know, back then when the initial position was made, it was just such differentiated technology for gaming. And it's just by a happy coincidence that GPUs are perfect for AI, but they have really capitalized on that. And, you know, I think their level of execution is it's hard to it's hard to match it. Maybe Apple, but it's really hard to match this level of execution. All right. Uh, up next, final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. You know, Encino is this interesting bank serving company. Very high switching costs here. Again, some AI pixie dust, and I, I like that right here. Tim. Toyota Motors, TM. I think one of the better global motors plays in the world right now, and I think they have certainly dividend payout growth. Dan. Yeah, NVIDIA. I've been wrong for probably 200 bucks. Not shorted for 200 bucks, but I think it's probably 400 between, before 600 with the stock right around 500. Guy. Fun show. It was a fun. We learned a lot fun, today. Fun, So much. I mean, the commercial breaks tonight were just. Off the All right. Okay, guy, get on with it. GDXJ, Melms, the miners, the junior ones. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.